All right. Some of you may remember that uh, this past January, we uh, tried to have Winter Bible School. Uh, I was one of the assigned speakers, and uh, a snowstorm hit like it does, seems like maybe about half the time when Winter Bible School happens, and we missed two evenings. So the um, Summer Bible School uh, committee, I guess, uh, took advantage of that and wondered if I would be willing to give the two evenings that uh, we missed. So I thought I would do that. I um, agreed to that. And um, if you remember, um, I didn't actually make a list right now of the uh, subjects that we had talked about from 1 Corinthians. Uh, By the way, the title was Lessons from the Book of 1 Corinthians. And um, I just picked out um, five subjects that I felt were um, important for, for us here at Weavertown. And I know that um, it's important for anybody that reads it, but for the sake of what we're doing here, I thought I'd make it as um, applicable or as practical for Weavertown as, as I could. We, um, we discussed, uh, I think uh, maybe the very first night, we discussed brotherhood and church membership and um, I, yeah, I gave some, some of the uh, things that I picked out from the different passages in 1 Corinthians. Um, another evening, we discussed uh, excommunication. Uh, maybe the third evening, we discussed communion, I think. And so, this evening, I would like to uh, have us think about gender roles and headship and most of um, my thoughts come from 1 Corinthians 11, and if you want to open your Bibles there, you're welcome to do that. And uh, I was talking to someone out here on the parking lot uh, beforehand, and um, teaching is a little different than preaching, and I want to leave this with you because um, when I preach on a Sunday morning, I pretty much am the only speaker, so I feel like... Um, a certain responsibility to have my stuff uh, together and kind of uh, in order and make it so that the flow starts and stops at a place that's good. And yeah, the, the responsibility is on me. But the, one of the differences with teaching or with Bible school specifically is that I'm not the only teacher. You all are the teachers. Uh, I'm leading the discussion, all right? So... Uh, I am uh, all ears tonight and um, very open and excited to have you uh, talk and give um, your thoughts. And um, I have something of an outline together here, but uh, uh, I am, like I said, eager to hear your input. First Corinthians 11, uh, as is familiar to our culture, talks about covering and uh, that sort of thing. It's often easily, um, yeah, it's easily the, uh, familiar for, for that part. I think 1 Corinthians 11 does also teach us some other things in addition to covering. And so I'm not uh, in any way closing uh, any discussion on covering. In fact, it's pretty hard to, to look at the first part of 1 Corinthians 11, the first 16 verses, without Uh, talking about covering at all. I'm not trying to avoid that in any way. But I've decided to uh, especially address um, headship. 
I have some thoughts on that. And then uh, um, morphing into gender roles. And basically what I mean by that is some of the, the God's call for, for men um, and or women. Um, I'm sure that I don't have to tell you that we've witnessed pretty much in our lifetime, especially the lifetime of you older ones, a major change in, in attitudes and thinking and teaching in regards to, to gender and gender roles. And that's especially true in Western culture. Eastern culture, uh, for whatever reason, um, tends to be more religious and has um, more religion tied into their, the fabric of their culture and uh, tend to uh, change a bit more slowly. Maybe sort of like us, I guess. I'm not sure. But things that in previous generations were understood and things that were assumed and things that were... Yeah, previous generations gave almost no thought to some of these things. But our culture has had, has had to come to grips with some of these changes because some of these changes come pretty close home and they, uh, the culture is completely infiltrated with it. And so Christians and Weavertown Church sort of have to um, um, think about some of these things in ways that we haven't had in previous decades or generations especially. <clears throat> we need to seek the scriptures, I think, for starters, on how to, uh, how to think how to teach about gender roles, and that's especially in light of what God has revealed on the pages of, of Scripture, the New Testament. And uh, the New Testament addresses gender roles. It doesn't, um, yeah, it's not missing in the New Testament teaching at all. Um, Ephesians, Colossians, First and Second Timothy, First um, Peter, um, and 1 Corinthians address gender roles. And here in 1 Corinthians 11, there's certainly um, a lot to be learned about gender roles. And if you go back a couple of pages in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 14, and uh, verses uh, 34 and 35, uh, Paul gives teaching to the Corinthians about gender roles in relation to church, and specifically leadership in that, in that uh, passage. I think, uh, as I look at this, especially in 1 Corinthians 11, I think one of the key or one of the main points of Paul's teaching is rooted in, in, in the creation story, the narrative of creation. And uh, so we're, we're going to be looking at that somewhat tonight, and uh, um, especially I decided to leave that till toward the end because of uh, yeah, whatever time constraints we have, I want to especially look at, if we want to stick with our theme here in 1 Corinthians, I want to cover those passages if, if, uh, as we have time, and then what's left over, we'll be looking at some of the creation principles in relation to gender roles. Um, I'm a little rough on the closing time. Who's, uh, does somebody know what, what's the closing time? 55 or something like that? What'd you say? Something like that. 50. 
Okay, all right, I'll try to pace myself here. All right, now I'm under the assumption that all of you are aware, like I've said, you agree with me that society and, and sin at its core has, has really screwed up some of the creation principles to the point where, uh, yeah, it's pretty much at the point of astonishment. If you've read the news at all in the last week, you've probably stumbled across articles that just, yeah, it, it's, it's just beyond belief. And the part that really concerns me is that, is that Christendom and churches have become ensnared in this thinking as well. And we become trapped in those thought patterns. And I think I'm just going to say, at least, um, yeah, it's how I see it, sinful thought patterns. So where maybe the world is going, approaching a sheer cliff at 90 miles an hour, but the church might be approaching the same cliff at 30 miles per hour. Um, yeah, I'm concerned about that. And gender roles are increasingly mixed up, both in Christendom and especially in society. In society. And hopefully things are not as bad in church, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, as I studied this, I, I, I find myself convicted. And, and um, I think there's room for us to, to be um, sharpened uh, as a Weavertown church in some of these things. Some time ago, someone from our church uh, shared with me that they attended a graduation. It was at, actually at Lancaster Mennonite High School. And as I understand, there were two public prayers in the, as part of the graduation. The, and both of the prayers were given by women. Public prayers. The student council of, of the class or of the, uh, of the school at that time was comprised of, of five girls. Um, they were Mennonites, or uh, at least were connected to the Mennonite school. And um, there's lots of churches. If you just do a little bit of a scan on on church um, statements and, and church structure in, in general. Um, I'm saying especially churches at large um, throughout the United States. They have charters. And some of those charters actually require that maybe a minimum of 50% of the, uh, of the church leadership is, is female um, women. And today I'm told that in American seminar seminaries, this is uh, people that are training and teaching um, pastors or prospective pastors. Um, well over 50% of the students are women. And again, I don't need to tell you that, but just to, to say again that over the last 100 years, there has been sort of a holocaust of change that has come as a result or has conditioned people how to think, how to believe, how to do, how to practice church life in the area of gender roles. I think the hippies were probably one of the first to, to, um, to question uh, establishment. And um, one of the things that they established was gender, gender roles. Uh, hippies of the 60s. Um, the hippies sort of introduced the thought that there was really no major difference between male and female other than the plumbing and uh, how that uh, a person was trained they said if you if you trained 
if you trained a baby in a gender neutral way, um, it was the results were the same. In other words, if you would give um, dolls to a little boy, um, he would he would assimilate into to playing with dolls, and vice versa. If you would give tractors to or trucks to a little girl, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it's a matter of of the culture imposing itself on on young children, and it was affecting uh, their behavior in that way. And there has been tremendous effort in our lifetime to, to nullify uh, gender and to even, to even to a greater extent responsibility that goes with um, a specific gender, whether it's male or female. In 1973, abortion was made legal and uh, a couple could sleep together. And if, if, uh, if there was pregnancy as a result of that, uh, they could decide to do away with the responsibility of their action. They could have the baby aborted. And um, as we know, that's, uh, I mean, millions of babies have been aborted as a result of, um, at least somewhat as a result of parents not wanting the responsibility that comes with um, the fact that they are male and female. And just the biology that goes with that is um, requires a certain amount of responsibility from from the genders that, that yeah that be males and females, and of course in the last 20 years there's there's, uh, there's it's become even more uh, more weird, where you have sperm donors and in vitro fertilization and surrogate mothers and contraceptives and cloning and that sort of thing. And all of these things can be, and are in many cases, uh, very effective in, in, in teaching people to uh, avoid responsibility. And I think that is especially true for fathers and husbands. Um, yeah, that's how I would see it. Years ago, children were seen as assets, and tremendous assets, actually. And part of that had to do with the culture being mostly agrarian. We were farmers. And so if you could uh, have a family of children, that was, yeah, that was, that was great. You had lots of work and, and you could, yeah, it was, it was a blessing. But now the culture has shifted to the fact that we are consumers primarily. We're, we're more, much more consumers than we are agrarian. And so as families, um, children are seen as more of a of a burden. It's uh, they're an expense, and those of you who are on the same stage of life as I am and a little younger, you know it. They cost a lot of money, and uh, we dads have to work hard, and moms are challenged with all the responsibility that goes with that. And so I think that sort of created a dilemma in in our children. Some of them who are adults by now. And they're coming along and they, they wonder sometimes whether it is okay to be the gender that they are. That they were born in. Men wish that they would be women. And women wish that they were men. And there, there's gender confusion and identity crisis in relation to, to one's gender. And I, I think because of that, and at least in society, and like I said, I think there's traces of it in our 
even in our church here at Weaverton, uh, if we're honest, and there's sort of a crusade for acceptance of, of this identity crisis. And uh, society, for sure, uh, has this pretty much wide open, unashamed, unapologetic um, crusade to accept homosexuality and lesbianism as, as a, a very normal thing for any society. All right, with that as sort of a backdrop, um, we can, uh, I'm gonna invite you to, to weigh in on that uh, at various points here. But I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians 11 and verses seven to nine. And this is um, one of Paul's reasons, or one of, one of about five things that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians 11 as reasons or a, a foundation for uh, which uh, women should, should cover. And this is because of the creation principle. And I, I, I like I said, I, I feel like I'm, in many ways, I'm just uh, one of you. I, I find myself not having, feeling like I just have clear um, answers always to every and all situations in relation to this. But it's pretty hard to miss here in 1 Corinthians 11 that Paul cites creation and creation principles and specifically gender as one of the reasons why a woman should, should embrace covering. Here's what he writes, verses 7 to 9. He says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And he goes right on to say, that for this cause, a woman ought to have power on her head because of the angels. And I, I have pondered that, and I don't feel like I have a real solid answer. I, can, I mean, I have some thoughts on that. But the, in light of gender and gender roles, when a woman covers, according to this passage, she aligns herself with creation principles and when a man chooses not to cover, he aligns himself with creation principles that gives him power in relation to the supernatural world, the spiritual world. Um, yeah, I would love to hear some of your thoughts and some of your uh, some of your enlightenment on that. I, like I said, I I I just found myself just in studying this today, just. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I, I can clearly and readily embrace this teaching, but to stand here and explain it to you and to t teach it and, and, and try to catch all the ends, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm quite ready for that, at least not tonight. And I think together, maybe if we discuss it here, we can, uh, we can find a way through that. What, what are you thinking by now? I've, I've talked so far. What, what are some thoughts or, yeah, why, what, what's going through your head in relation to anything that I said, but maybe especially the passage here in 1 Corinthians 11? Sure. 
Anything else? What would you, what would you like to? Uh, Recently left the beachy. Can't imagine how they looked. All the all the women had their hair down, covered, and nothing covered. But all the men, maybe with the exception of one, had. I thought that was really interesting. I'm not sure why it stood out to me. Maybe I just had some bitterness or something left over. I don't know. But it, I found it really interesting, and it, it I, I couldn't help but make the uh, notice that. Um, yeah, is there something to be learned there? Maybe not as much as I'm making it sound, but I think, I think there is something to be learned there. Um, I would personally feel that way. More thoughts?
Yeah, well, again, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm prepared to just answer all of our cultural practices. And uh, yeah, I, like I said, I, I have no problem um, practicing our culture, but I, I am, I, I would like to at least encourage or invite, I, I can't believe it, I don't have five minutes left now yet, but uh, I, I feel like I sort of need to find a way to, <laughs> to at least um, guide us to, to, uh, to, to stir in the right way or in the right direction in relation to that. So, I, yeah, I appreciate what, 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 what people have, have shared here. I'm going to try to just give a little bit of a, a few things in relation to some of the creation principles that, that I think of when I think of uh, headship and, and uh, gender roles. Uh, there's one thing I want to leave with you here. The headship order, I've already heard it taught this way, and it, it, I think it comes right here from 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm not, I'm not saying that every aspect of, of this, where you have God, Christ, man, woman, it's kind of like one, two, three, four, with woman at the bottom. Um, I've, I've uh, thought about that some, and I actually consulted Aaron Lapp's book this afternoon, and I was kind of pleased that, uh, that I agreed with him, or he agreed with me one way or the other. And uh, I, I would see the headship order a, a bit more like this, where Christ and God are one. Christ is not any less God because he listens to the Father or that he is subordinate or complementary, whatever word you want to use there. And in the same way, man and woman, in a similar way, and and yeah, I have some things prepared here I'm not going to have time to share, but it's that the typology of, of, the, of creation as it's given in, first, in Genesis, I think coincides with this. But that man and woman, it, the, the role is a matter of, of function. It's not a role of superiority. That, that gender roles are designed by God to complement each other. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I have to just go into a lot of detail about that. Gender roles from Genesis, and I'm going to spin through this just, yeah, just to leave it with you. God created Eve after Adam. Uh, God created Eve for Adam, and I don't think you can miss that from the Genesis account. God created Eve from Adam. He took a rib from Adam's side. And then fourthly, Adam named Eve and yeah, I, again, that's, that's, the, that's what the scripture records. And uh, I do not in any way feel that that means that since Adam named Eve, that she is on the level of animals because Adam named the animal, animals also. I don't think there's any implication of that at all. But Eve was given to Adam as a compliment, as a result of incredible need that he had in his life and we men uh, some of you could uh, attest to the fact we we often don't tend to do just real well when we're completely alone um, yeah we we need um, the genders were created by God to complement each other some of the typology to consider in uh, in the creation 
Adam is a type of Christ. Um, that's, yeah, it's pretty hard to miss that. Uh, the New Testament, numerous, or at least a couple of places, picks up on that and names Adam as a type of Christ. Eve is a type of the church, as are godly women in general. And Christ was initially independent from the church, just like Adam was initially independent from Eve. Adam was put to sleep in order for Eve to be formed. And Christ was put to sleep through death, three days and three nights in the grave, in order for the church to be born. Eve was taken from Adam's side. The church receives life from the blood that flowed from Christ's side. Eve was bone of Adam's bone, and I think the church also should be in Christ's image, according to the teaching of the New Testament. Eve was presented to Adam by God as Adam's bride. And in that similar way, the church is going to be presented by God to Jesus as his bride. All right, I had uh, uh, maybe more things to say on that, but uh, like I said, you, uh, I, I want you to struggle uh, well in relation to this. Um, I agree with Gideon. I think that the, the Bible means what it says, and I think it's meant and given to us to be taken literally. And how do we do that best, I think, is a, is a question that, um, yeah, it's been a struggle of, for generations, hundreds of years already, since the, for sure since the 1500s and before that. Um, churches have struggled on, yeah, what does the Bible mean? What does it say? How can we best practice that? And that's a question that I think all of us in our church needs to answer. Thank you for your attention.